today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right. We remember uh, in this global pandemic, we were so fortunate in the sense that uh, we got a dog like just barely a year before all of this started. Um, but then there was uh, certainly a demand for pets as uh, the pandemic uh, took off. My goodness, uh, in, in the frustration, the fatigue, the anxiety, and everything uh, that one is feeling during a global pandemic, it certainly is cool to have a pet around uh, to take your mind off things. If for anything else, uh, in the case of a dog, just getting outside because it needs a walk every day, and that's a good way to get you out there. Uh, so where are we with this and pet adoption during the global pandemic? Let's bring in Heather Ashcroft, adoption coordinator with the Hamilton Burlington SPCA and is with us now. Heather, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, yes, I am. Thanks, Scott. Nice to be on with you. So uh, what? tell us what it's been like uh, at the shelter during the pandemic. Uh, has there been a mad dash to grab pets? Where are you now? Um, well, I feel like we've seen a lot of progression through the pandemic. Obviously, at the beginning, uh, it was quite different than kind of where we found ourselves now. Uh, as an essential service, you know, we've been operating, running our programs kind of in a modified way ever since this uh, pandemic hit us. Uh, adoptions is no different. We did take a, a very brief break, just about a couple of weeks to kind of recalibrate, pivot, and uh, come up with a, a safe adoption program that is going to not only keep, you know, staff members and people safe, but also make sure that we are lining up appropriate homes for the animals that we are charged with uh, with finding their forever homes. And again, let's not forget, that's what the, the great job that the SPCA does. It's not just a case of, hey, I want a dog, I'm going to go there to get one. You make sure that these pets are with the proper family. We do, we do. I mean, there's many aspects uh, that we pride ourselves in being leaders in the animal welfare in our community. Adoption is just one of the many programs that we offer here, but it is something that we do take quite seriously. We see animals coming in to us from all different walks of life, all different reasons why they find ourselves coming through our shelter doors, and it is one of our main priorities, not only is to do a service to these animals and find them appropriate long-term forever homes, but also to provide that service to the people who are looking for good companions. We want to make sure it's a good fit. And even more so with the pandemic, because people are not permitted to come into the shelter in person, interact with the animals, and choose them themselves, we've actually found that this has been beneficial in placing animals uh, through this program, this no-contact adoption process. Uh, did you see an uptake in adoption during the early stages of this pandemic? Honestly, Scott, not really. Uh, we've been yeah. pretty lucky. We haven't noticed a huge, huge uptake. Uh, we generally find that adoptions kind of wax and wane with the seasons anyways. You may have heard the term kitten season, which happens quite often in the spring. Uh, more kittens are getting adopted, uh, things like that. They generally happen. That hasn't been any different this year. But we have found that there have been a lot of uh, individuals who live alone, uh, older folks who aren't able to get that interaction that they were previously used to getting due to the pandemic, looking for ways to, you know, give back and also provide an animal a loving home and get that companionship that they've been lacking. So we've been able to match up a lot of really good, uh, you know, senior pets with older folks looking for that companionship aspect. That's an interesting thing that you brought up because whenever we, whenever you think of adoption or, or new pets, you think of puppies, kittens, uh, 
all that sort of thing. But, you know, in, in what you've said has touched a nerve for me. Um, my mother's in a, in a long-term facility. And, you know, they used to always have a dog and la, 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 la. And she said to me the other day, you know, I'd like a cat. Yes, and yes. I'm thinking, And I'm thinking, you know, Ma, it might be, and no, 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 I want an older cat. I don't want a kitten. I don't want to have to go through all that. And I thought, <laughs> my goodness, what a great idea. But you've said there is demand for older pets and older people. There is, absolutely. And, and it's, it's refreshing to see because we always advocate for senior pets for senior uh, individuals because it's just a better fit, right? You know, once you've reached that stage in your life where you'd just rather have a cup of tea and, and, and watch some shows, you don't want a kitten climbing your curtains, right? This yeah. isn't something you want to be dealing with, keeping you up at 3 a.m., heaven forbid. So a nice senior cat, you know, and we say senior, really, we're looking at 10 and above to say senior. As cats mm-hmm. live up to 20 years now that we're, we have new uh, breakthroughs in, in veterinary medicine, people are taking really good care of them. You know, a 20-year-old cat is not unheard of. So to be a, a 10-year-old cat and considered senior, really, I say that's about middle age for most cats. But at that point, they've settled into their personality. They really know what they want. And most often, that is to just relax and hang out and, and be that companion that those folks are looking for. What about having a new owner, though, for a pet, like halfway through its life like that? Honestly, uh, animals are so resilient, really, specifically yeah. cats as well. Uh, they're really tough. They, they don't deal well with change, so we do have to kind of guide folks through that initial integration process. It can take a couple of weeks for the animal to settle in. Generally, they're displaced. They, they have a lot of emotions as well, just like we do. They can be nervous and scared, so that's part of our process here as well, is really helping to equip the new adopter with the tools that they need to helpfully um, move through that integration process and have the animal settle in quickly and also be able to build the bond that they're looking for as well. Is this a good time to adopt? Is there ever a good time? Um, you, you know, I remember talking to SBC, the SBCA in the past and saying, you know what, if you're going to do this at Christmas, you got to really think about this and make sure that's what you want. It's just not like going out and buying a toy, yes. uh, per se. Is this a good time to be looking into this? It is. I think it really is an individual question, and that's, that's where the one-on-one process, you know, coming through the SPCA, getting this adoption um, the process that we have, it's, it's quite one-on-one. You take the time to really get to know the individual and what their expectations are, as well as the animals looking for homes. And it's, it's a, a process of matching and making sure that if, you know, say you're looking to move in a couple of weeks, but you've had your eye on a cat, I would counsel you to wait until you've settled into your new house, then bring in an animal. So it's less stress for everyone. But quite often, I mean, even you gave the example of over Christmas, sometimes individuals who don't have a lot of family members, they don't have a lot of, you know, people coming over lots of things happening, sometimes the Christmas break can be a good time to adopt for those individuals. So we really take things on a case-by-case basis. Really what you're looking for is, is my life going to change drastically in the next little bit? Do I have the time to dedicate uh, and, and, and think long-term as well? Because, you know, we're, we're committing to the lifetime companionship of this animal. We certainly heard that the demand for pets went way up during the pandemic, but you didn't see that as much. Not as much. I think it is because of our process. It's, it's yeah. It is one-on-one. It's not the same as, you know, looking at the, the newspaper ads as we did in the past or, or shopping on Kijiji where people can just say, oh, I want that pet, and they would go out and get it. I do feel that there probably was an increase in that aspect, and I'm sure you'll be uh, reassured to hear that even through our adoptions and people looking to adopt more so now than, than before, I find that because of the process and how we take things individually, that we haven't had any returns because the person hasn't gotten along with the pet or it hasn't had the results that we were expecting with the adoption. 
So you haven't seen, um, just like you didn't see a great uptick, you're not seeing uh, at this phase of the pandemic people bringing pets back or not saying, yet, you know, not, I shouldn't no. have done this. No, no, not at all, especially not uh, not that have been adopted through us. But I can say, l- reflecting on the past year, we may have had one or two animals that needed to be surrendered due to changes that were brought on as a result of COVID, individuals potentially losing their jobs, not having the finances behind them that they were expecting to have. We've had maybe a very small handful of animals surrendered due to changes like that. But really, we have not seen what we're kind of expecting or waiting for. Whereas, you know, people return to work, they've changed their mind, they're like, oh, maybe this isn't a good idea. And, and then they are looking to surrender. We, we just haven't seen that. Why are pets working during a pandemic? I think because people are really lacking that interaction. It's been a huge change for everyone. Stress levels are very high. And the fact that this is, you know, it's going to be a year very soon that this has been going on, it becomes exhausting. And it's taking a huge emotional toll. And really, pet ownership, it brings so much. Not only are you giving back to this animal that's been displaced and doesn't have a home, but they bring so much to you. Uh, advice for those who may be thinking about uh, about getting a pet and, and using perhaps the SBCA as an option. Absolutely. I think really determining the type of pet, it, it'll take some time. You should treat it like a project almost. Looking at the different options, doing a lot of research, speaking to people who own those specific pets, looking at you know animals other than cats and dogs as well. We do have rabbits that are quite often uh, in our shelters due to Uh, People not knowing what they were kind of signing up for with rabbits. Rabbits tend to be a lot more work than, say, a cat. So uh, that's part of the process, too, is is finding out exactly what the needs will be of these animals that you're looking to bring into your home. And then also looking to see, okay, what would be a good fit? What's my lifestyle like? If you're a relaxed, chilled out kind of person, you don't want to bring home a Springer Spaniel, right? So we take all of that into consideration and there's lots of resources. And and that's something that we offer as well. If you have questions about adoption or, or what would be a good fit, you know, we're always available to counsel in that regard as well. Is it difficult to, uh, we, we talked about this before with cats and, and aging and, and senior pets, senior people, that sort of thing. Uh, is it tough for a dog when you've, you know, you're, you're adopting a dog that's maybe a couple years old, five years old, again, that transition, is that, is that difficult? I don't think that it's even more so difficult for those pets. I think it's difficult for all the pets for that, that initial couple yeah. of weeks. And, and I really think that... The older the pet, sometimes they, they bond even faster with you. You know, even mm. in the past year, I'm reflecting, I, I've adopted out quite a few senior dogs specifically, and they've done so well because they're just so happy to get that love and, and get back into a home and get that routine that they were missing mm. being here in the shelter. And it's, it's a very emotional thing for the, the dogs as well. And I find that the adopters who are willing to bring in a senior pet into their home, because of course, there's going to be more medical expenses, more considerations, that kind of thing. Um, I find that those people really they make my job very rewarding. I, I am so happy to be able to, to work with those individuals and, and unite them with their forever friends. Uh, and what about uh, size of dog or cat or, well, I guess more so a dog than a cat uh, per se, but, but how important is it that you get the pet, the pet that's, that's right for you? I think size is a factor, but I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. I know a lot of individuals are looking for, you know, smaller pets. But if, if it's an energy level aspect, then, you know, an older, maybe medium-sized dog might be just as suitable as a small, younger type dog. So it really depends. Again, it's an individual thing. Um, but there are issues with if someone has mobility issues, potentially having a smaller dog is going to be easier for them to manage. So these are mm-hmm. things we definitely take into consideration.
All right, Heather Ashcroft with his adoption coordinator with the Hamilton Burlington SPCA. If you're thinking of uh, bringing a pet into your life, you got to call the SPCA first and see what they have for you and how they can help you out. Heather, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, this is, uh, I found this fascinating because we've been doing lots and lots of, uh, of segments on polling and how we're feeling and, and, and uh, on various issues to do with this global pandemic. But, uh, Abacus Data has, uh, has put a neat one together and it is entitled, I want my old life back. What Canadians are looking forward to post pandemic uh and immediately my i got a smile on my face and my eyes lit up man and think about that what is the first thing you're gonna do now you know we keep thinking that um you know it's not a case of flipping a switch like all of a sudden one day all right we're all vaccinated it's clear boom the barn doors open and we just all run out into the daisies i'm not sure it's gonna happen quite that quickly i think it's gonna be more gradual thing so, you know, I'm not sure it's going to be all of a sudden like New Year's Eve. Where are we going? What are we doing? Uh, who are we going to see? Uh, I think it will take a bit of time to get there. But still, I'm sure there's a lot of things, uh, a COVID-19 bucket list per se, uh, that you want to do as soon as you get out. Uh, that along with a uh, another study or poll rather on uh, pandemic plus the winter blues, uh, obviously this time of the year it's difficult, uh, you know, the, the February blahs and such. Uh, Blue Monday, I think, is the third uh, Monday after uh, Christmas in January and such. Now you take all of that. The winter blues and you uh, you drop in a global pandemic, what does that do to your happiness? So a couple of neat things to talk about with Oksana Kishchuk, consultant at Abacus Data and is with us now. Uh, Oksana, thank you so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I mean, uh, writing the article and I, I do want my old life back, so I'm doing well under those circumstances, <laughs> but yeah, all things considered. All right, before we get to that, because we'll finish off with that, because it's pretty funny, um, let's talk about the pandemic plus the winter blues equals a drop in happiness. We all know this time of the year it's difficult for people anyway. Uh, not too bad today, because we've got a bright, sunny day where we are uh, in the hammer. But, uh, but you know, again, you put the two together of a global pandemic and winter blues, uh, you're going to see a, a bit of an effect here. What have, what have you found out? Yeah, so my colleague uh, Richard Jenkins and I have sort of been tracking what we call sort of the happiness monitor um, among all Canadians. We started kind of in October last year, albeit kind of in the middle of the pandemic, but we've been kind of looking at how Canadians rate their happiness day to day and what kind of impacts that. And what we're starting to see is a bit of a decline in the score that people are giving themselves and their happiness, especially kind of as we dipped into February and temperatures really started to drop. Um, and And people are sort of like the article says, people are stuck in a pandemic. It's almost been a year. We're feeling those typical winter blues, getting our happy lights out, trying to trying to stay positive and motivated. But that combination seems to really be hitting us all right now. So our, our, as we get to this point in, in the spring on the horizon, um, do we feel that it is getting better or do we feel that it, it is getting worse? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think we're we're going back into field shortly here uh, to to sort of check that. But I would assume that 
um, people are starting to sort of feel a little bit happier and, and feel a little bit of motivation and, and optimism about what the next couple months looks like. I mean, December with all of the cases rising in a lot of different provinces and territories was kind of not the most motivating and, and joyful news. And then to be stuck in lockdowns, at least uh, here in Ontario as well, was a bit uh, demotivating as well. Um, and something that we sort of found in, in sort of the underpinnings of, of this decline is that um, a lot of the reasons that we're sort of declining in happiness is because we're finding it hard to be be motivated, to find yeah. things to look forward to, to say life is rewarding. We, we track kind of those things as well, and those took a bit of a dip as well. So as those things sort of declined into those sort of dark and wintry months, it was hard to find motivation in those. But I'm hopeful as sort of myself, and I think a lot of others are starting to plan those sort of bucket list and um, post-pandemic activities, that there's some joy in that. You know, I wonder if anybody have, many have thought, because my wife and I were talking about this, you know, here we are a year into this, uh, mm-hmm. or pretty much almost, and, you know, we will be getting out of this soon. How will we look back at this and think, gee, what did I accomplish during the pandemic? Because some people have, you know, they've changed jobs. Some people have picked up a musical mm-hmm. instrument. Um, some have, I guess, used this as an opportunity to, to expand in some way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the the pandemic has sort of been a moment that I don't think anyone could say they were expecting or something that they would be living through. But I think everyone's kind of faced their own challenges and and uh, and sort of changes to their life and are sort of reflecting on what maybe happened during that time and what they were kind of going to be doing differently. If there's anything that they sort of regretted not doing before it would change kind of going forward once we're all out of this. You know, it's interesting. Um, um, I, I remember thinking to myself uh, in, in the last few weeks, wow, this seems harder than it was uh, before the holidays. It just seemed, you know, I, I'm starting to feel it now. And, you know, I didn't really realize it. But as your headline says, the pandemic plus the winter blues, uh, you know, just with the time of year uh, that it is anyway, and then you introduce the global pandemic, are you are you getting the sense that people are having more uh, a more difficult time post-holiday than pre-holiday? Yeah, yeah, I think for sure. I mean, I'm I'm seeing it in my own kind of friends and connections too, and, and also in the data and that we're sort of reaching that kind of lull where sort of the joy of the holidays that maybe wasn't the same this year, but we could sort of get a little bit at least, all of that sort of settled and, and maybe the things that we did sort of to combat those winter blues, like seeing our friends or going out for a drink or just going outside are all kind of definitely different or even non-existent now. So it's hard to sort of combat that. All right, let's talk about uh, this article. Uh, I want my old life back, what Canadians are looking forward to post-pandemic. This is a very cool angle, and and I'm surprised it's taken us this long to get there. Maybe, again, we were feeling too blue. How did you, how, how did you get the inspiration to write this? Where did this come from? Um, quite honestly, it was sitting in my apartment with not much else to do, thinking about all of the things that, that I want to do, and, and thinking and talking to my colleagues about what, we all wish we could be doing and wondering what Canadians think about it too. I mean, that's kind of one of the nice things about my job is when I just have a question that I'm like, I'm feeling this. I wonder if anyone else is, I can just kind of ask it. Um, And that's sort of where this was sort of born out of. And I asked myself all of these questions and sort of answered them and and wanted to see what other people thought. And it turns out we're all kind of thinking the same thing. So what did you find uh, as you did research in this? I mean, I I guess the obvious thing is see friends, but what what are we going to do when we get out? 
Yeah, so a lot of people, so we ask a lot of these questions kind of as open ends to just kind of say, if the world is your oyster and you can do whatever you want, what what do you want to do? Um, and a lot of people just wrote the sentence, I want to visit family, I want to visit friends. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of was a pretty emotional thing. And one of the sort of more interesting findings is we just, we miss what we used to be able to do, the things that were so easy to just go see your friends, see your family that we didn't think twice about. Um, before the whole pandemic happened, that's that's really what we're hanging on to and missing. And, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people just sort of take that for granted until mm-hmm. it's taken away and they don't really realize the impact that just even seeing friends has on them on a day-to-day basis. Exactly. And and that's something that I was curious, too, is like, is there going to be this sort of rush, the roaring 20 sort of bucket list moment post-pandemic? So we asked people, as well, like, do you want to do something that you did before? Or are you really interested in doing that bucket list item? And very few people picked doing that bucket list item. The most picked answer was spending time with loved ones, but then also people just said doing something familiar, like something that they have done a million times before, before the pandemic, and that's what they're missing most, not the new thing at all. That's bizarre, because prior to the pandemic, it was always about the bucket list. Oh, that's on my bucket list. I want to do that, whether it's climbing a mountain or doing this or skydiving or, Mm -hmm. you know, what have you, seeing some part of the world. Uh, And you would think that coming out of the pandemic, yeah, you're going to, where is that bucket? Let's get at it. But it's funny. You're saying, no, it's the opposite. It's those familiar things that weren't in the bucket. That's what we're more interested in. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's certainly still like time for people to sort of rewrite those lists and make those things. But I think especially right now where where happiness is down, we're in those winter blues months where we're stuck inside, we can't do anything. The thing that we're latching onto is those those old things that we used to do. Do you think this will change some people's bucket lists? Instead of this, you know, it's gonna be a little a little bit more of a simpler bucket list. Yeah, I think I think people have definitely pared it down, at least for this year, as people have to check off all those things that they, they were going to do and then just didn't. One of the other questions that we asked as well was, is there anything that you aren't sure you're going to go back to doing or mm. are you going to sort of change your habits and sort of rewrite those lists, rewrite your, your life goals? Um, and most people said no. Um, I think a couple people have are saying that they're going to change travel habits. That was kind of the top sort of thing that people change. Some people are saying they're less comfortable with crowds and people. So I think there'll certainly be those groups that'll sort of take this moment as a moment of reflection and, and trying to change those things. But again, right now, we just, just wanted to get back to what we were doing. You talked, and I've heard this analogy before, people comparing uh, what's to come to the Roaring Twenties. Uh, It'll be interesting to know if it is roaring or if it is, in fact, cautious. Do you think this has made us more cautious, or do you think once the doors open, we're just going to bolt out? Yeah, I think certainly it it has made us a little bit more cautious, I think, um, in in terms of public health things. I know for myself, I never thought twice about wearing a, a mask. Um, when I was on public prior to the pandemic, if if someone was sick, but uh, we're seeing even uptake among younger Canadians sort of reconsidering the whole mask use and, and being in crowds and things like that. Um, but I think that there's sort of some other sort of changes that are on the horizon and that uh, we're going to have to keep watching for it and seeing how those sort of attitudes shift. What about anything to do with occupation or jobs? Anything there? Yeah, so um, the question that we asked, is there anything you did before the pandemic that you aren't sure you're going to go back to doing was also a bit of an open-end question. So we kind of left people to choose what they wanted. And we found that about 6% of people um, 
or sorry, 4% of people said that they're interested in sort of changing work things. So whether that be really wanting to work from home or changing a job completely. Um, and the interesting thing that I thought from this was that this number is actually quite a bit higher, although still only 6% among younger people. Um, people like me who are sort of early in their careers and kind of, kind of finding their path and, and maybe we're just entering the workforce or trying to enter the workforce in the pandemic and, and weren't successful. And that this has sort of been kind of an opportunity to sort of check that and, and figure out, is this really what I want to do? Is this job sustainable? Is it something that I enjoy doing? Um, I think it's definitely going to be a moment like that for young people. It certainly feels like we're on the cusp of something. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. many have called the, the, you know, the old baby boomers the last greatest generation. I have a feeling that my kids and you, people of your age, that's the next greatest generation because they've got to deal with this and, and live in and, and reconstruct what is the world that we used to know. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the other piece of post-pandemic. There's the figuring out what you want to do with your spare time and, and, and figuring out what you want to do on your budget list, things like that. But then once we sort of settle into that post-pandemic lifestyle, it's, the, the pandemic changed a lot. There's a lot of economic impacts to kind of our economy overall or personal finances. And those problems aren't just sort of going to dissipate once the pandemic's over. So I think you're right. There's, there's a long way to go, especially for the younger people. So what about things that uh, that people do not want to do anymore? You know, that's it. I've had it with that. No more of that. Yeah. So uh, we found that about uh, 5% of people are saying, mm, I'm not so sure about being anywhere that's really in a crowd. Um, mm. We found, again, this is from that open-ended question, uh, 4% say that they're not really sure about going to a big event, things like a concert, sporting event things like that, um, where they're in b- big crowds with strangers, they make them a little bit uncomfortable. So there's certainly some of those feelings bubbling up. But I think that's something that I'll be interested in tracking sort of as people start to have those opportunities. And, and once they're able to be in those situations, are people actually going to jump back into them? Or are they going to tiptoe? Or are they going to sort of make changes to their behavior? Obviously, travel has taken a massive impact uh, on uh, uh, travel has taken a, a massive impact as a result of the global pandemic. Is there a, is there a huge need that people just want to get out and, and travel and, and, and go someplace where maybe they used to go or haven't gone before? Yeah, yeah. That was one of the other sort of top things about what what you want to do when you're sort of out of this is lots of people put travel. I want to go go fly somewhere. I want to go travel and, and take this trip I was going to do. But sort of on the other end is that um, we found that a lot of people, when they say, if you would make a change, what would you make a change on? It's in their travel habits. So I think that that's uh, definitely an industry that's going to sort of see a bit of disruption, whether people are going to want to travel far or maybe travel a bit closer, travel to destinations that there are sort of those comfort zone things that they really want to do or take it as an opportunity to travel somewhere new. I think that that's going to be a really interesting industry to watch and, and see how people shift there. Anything on relationships? Uh, we've heard that, um, you know, for some it's helped, for some it hasn't helped. Uh, anything on that? So that was one thing that we actually didn't ask about whether or not um, you're sort of living amongst people or not. Um, but I would imagine that, um, at least from personal experience, um, that it, you might be sort of becoming more accustomed to the people that you're uh, living with and then more so missing people that you aren't. Uh, I think given that social connections and seeing family and friends were so important um, for people, I can imagine that those who are living alone and aren't able to have those social connections kind of in their bubble or at home are feeling these uh, things particularly hard. 
Did you find that people were thinking about this stuff? Because, again, uh, what caught my eye is just, wow, what a great angle to look at this because it seems we've beaten every angle up uh, you know, on COVID-19. <laughs> and this is like, oh, my goodness, let's open up the curtain and see what's there, uh, which is great. I mean, are, are people mm-hmm. feeling that optimism, uh, are, you know, the fact that they're even participating in this sort of thing or thinking about wanting their own life back? Yeah, I think that I would agree that this, there's this conversation that's just sort of starting. It's not a policy conversation. It's not kind of what do we need to do to fix this post-pandemic. It's, it's what do you want to do? And I think kind of coupled with those winter blues is that um, people are like, oh, I, I hadn't even thought of that. I'm just trying to get through this week. Um, but yeah. if you ask me, I think I would just want to do what I was supposed to be doing um, at this time last year. Um, which is why I think we're seeing a lot of that sort of, I just want my, I want my old life back. I want to do something familiar. I just want to be somewhere other than I was for the last 11 months. Um, I think those things are really top of mind. People are just tired and, and ready to get out. Do you think this will just continue to be a gradual thing? Obviously, it's going to take a while to vaccinate everybody. Uh, I guess we're all waiting for the summer. Yes. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to be. We're We're going to keep tracking this and sort of seeing how they change. But I think... Uh, summer is definitely the, one of those times that people can sort of open up, can travel, we can be outside, we can socialize outside, we can do more outdoor activities when we travel, things like that. So I, I agree it's going to be, unfortunately, a couple more months before we're really able to sort of exercise any of these things. Oksana Kischuk has been with us, consultant at Abacus Data. I want my old life back. What Canadians are looking forward to post-pandemic? Hey, it's something to think about. Oksana, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've talked many times at length about what it is uh, going to be like coming out the other end of this pandemic. We know when this first started, everybody thought, ah, no problem. I can eat my way out of this. Uh, And it'll be a few weeks and then things will be back to normal. And then, of course, uh, here we are, week number 50 of the Scott Thompson Home Show. And, uh, you know, the year anniversary coming up soon, March break or what would have been March break. Uh, And it's pretty tough to go through something like we have all been going through and not come out the other end different. Uh, It's going to be pretty difficult to keep life the same as it was uh, before a global pandemic. It's changing the way we think. It's changing. It's made us look at ourselves and and evaluate what is truly important in our lives uh, as opposed to the the fashionable frivolous stuff that occupies so much of our time. Uh, one of the areas that is seeing change is uh, housing and where people are choosing to live. Uh, at one point, it was all about stacking us up like cordwood and stop uh, uh, urbanization. And, you know, even though Canada is as large as it is, let's put us all in a 40-story condo downtown uh, as opposed to expanding into the land that we have. Uh, that debate is changing as people are looking for more space. People are looking to get out. Uh, you can imagine what it's like to be in a lockdown and then sitting in a 600 or 800 square foot apartment or condo in you know, a large urban setting. Uh, we've also been aware that how difficult it is for younger Canadians to get into the housing market, to, to, to jump on board and, and even start out with, uh, with some sort of, of purchase. Uh, well, there's a fascinating, uh, study that's coming out and, uh, it's, it's an unexpected prize for young Canadians how the pandemic has helped a wave of first time home buyers get into 
the market. To talk all about this, Diana Petromala is with us, Senior Research with the Center for Urban Research and Land Development at Ryerson University and is with us now. Diana, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Hi, Scott. Thanks, am. How are you? Good. This is a fascinating issue. How have our, our, our dreams, our aspirations changed post-COVID-19 compared to before COVID-19? I'd have to say I don't, you know, pre-COVID-19, you know, we did have a lot of millennials who were living in apartments, but that's because they were kind of at the age where they should be. Like, they're coming out of school, they're leaving their parents' house maybe for the first time, and they want to be near their jobs. But millennials, as of this year, are now 25 to 40 years old. That's the prime age for first-time homebuyers. And they are the largest group of home buyers uh, in Canada and then Ontario has ever seen. So it's actually not surprising that they're taking advantage of record low interest rates. The, there was anticipation that the demand from millennials was going to balloon between 21 and 20, the years 2021 and 2031. I think that's, you know, it's not a pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. It's just an acceleration in that trend that we've already expected to see. So is this a case of the demographic or just millennials making their way through the demographic and now into that age category? Yeah, like the biggest jump into home ownership occurs between the ages of actually 20, 35 to 44. So, uh, yeah, I just I think this is just them moving along the natural progression of home ownership. And, you know, a lot of them have actually been living at home with their parents. In 2016, we, we estimated that there were 800,000 millennials living at home, majority of them in the suburbs with their parents. And so they've been saving. So if you look at their assets, uh, they've been accumulating a lot more um, cash than generations that have come before them and a lot less housing than generations that have come before them. So they're, you know, ready to jump in. So in other words, a matter of time before this cohort was ready to be where they are right now and at this stage of, of family, raising family, that sort of thing. Middle age, for lack of, lack of a better phrase. <laughs> yeah, correct. And you see it in the fertility rate. You know, people say that you know, millennials are going to be more like dinks, so dual-income households with no kids. But yeah. and you did see fertility rates fall for people between the age of 15 and 29, but they're starting to really increase for women who are uh, 39 to 44, they're actually doubling for the upper end. So women are having kids, they're just having them a lot later. They might not have as many, um, but they are moving into that stage where they would want to have a family. So That's has COVID-19 really changed uh, our way of thinking or, or changed our buying patterns in any way? Or is it more so just this, like I said, the demographic making its way through the system? I think it's the demographics making it through the system. Like we would have only have expected 30% of these millennial households to be buying in the city of Toronto anyways, maybe less. Uh, we would have expected that demand to be occurring in the suburbs. I think what might be actually changing patterns too is, is affordability. It got really hard to buy a house in closer to the city center and there was a lot more affordable areas outside of the greater Toronto area. And so we've been mapping, you know, migration of people out of the city into the suburbs versus affordability. And there's a really big, housing affordability is a really big connection between the two. So I do think that maybe it's the home prices that are impacting millennials willingness to move out of the city into suburbs for more affordable housing, ground related housing. We've certainly seen how the pandemic has changed uh, how we think and how we do things 
uh, and such. And in many situations, taking, for example, technology, uh, a lot of that was there anyway. We just really weren't using it until we were forced into a scenario uh, that, that made it the only avenue for us uh, to, to continue to communicate. Has COVID-19 sped up these discussions? Has it moved them into a position of purchasing faster? Has it made it easier for millennials to jump on board? Technology? Is that... Has ha, has has uh, having to deal with the pandemic sped up this decision process? Of buying a house. Yes. Oh, I I I would say that it's it's possible. I have t- talked to a lot of people. I am a millennial house, household that we're moving from a condo to a house because of uh, the pandemic. Like our our house is just too too small. But I'm probably going to be working home indefinitely Um, so we do need to but we were looking before we jumped in so a lot of people I think were eager to move out of the city center but you know access to transit and other amenities like theaters bars restaurants I think made living in the city center um, more attractive but now you don't have any you don't have access to these amenities so there's a higher cost of living in the city than perhaps in the suburbs so again, we remember the you know of years gone by, um, uh, trying to uh, densify the the housing stock in the in the, the city centers and, and less urbanization, uh, more living uh, in urban lifestyles. Is that changing, or uh, do you see any of that uh, those plant? Like, you know, you said yourself that you know even being in a condo and all of a sudden you can't go out. That certainly changes your perception. Now, on the other hand, you guys were looking to get out anyway and just at that stage uh in your life but do you think this has uh generated more interest in the suburbs for lack of a better phrase than it has uh for people to move downtown or with younger younger generations there's always the just the attractiveness the attraction to move downtown so for millennials that are the biggest sort of generation right now um with surveys out of the u.s and millennials they ask them how they make their housing choices. And the very first one is uh, like where they want to live, whether they want to live in the city or in the suburbs. And the very first one is they look for affordability. The second thing is they want to be close to family and uh, friends. And so a lot of millennials are already living in the suburbs. So I think that that network is going to keep them, would have kept them in the suburbs in the first place and people who are living in the city of Toronto moving back to the suburbs. Um, And then the third one is schools and the fourth one is amenities. What I do think, though, is, you know, the, the millennial demand, we're going to continue to see more demand flowing into the suburbs because they are more expensive. They have more, uh, what we call ground-related housing, but it's, you know, places with a backyard, right. basically. Um, or, um, but what I, what I do think is going to happen, is happening, is um, through immigration, we, Generation Z is coming up behind the millennials, and they're growing more rapidly than the millennials were. So you have this whole new generation that are going to be young, either going to school, freshly coming out of school, who are going to now favor the downtown location. So I think you'll have two forces. You'll have two forces: millennials who are moving to the suburbs and would have anyways, but then a new generation coming in to fill in for them. 
So, again, we've heard many people during the pandemic say backyard, backyard, uh, as you mentioned, working from home, need that extra room, that extra office, what have you. Is that just a temporary spike, do you think, or do you think that's something people will look at in the future? Uh, you know, pandemics really do, like, they they bring up cracks in sort of systems, I guess, and we're seeing that a lot in the government, and there's been a lot of, you know, people who'd been fine living in smaller apartments because it was working for them at that time. But I think what the pandemic did is just sort of realize that over time, how much more space you do need. Um, so I, like, I, I, I actually think that, you know, the need to get out of apartments is going to be something that was going to happen regardless of the, of the pandemic. And this yeah. just really yeah. amplified the need to do it. Hmm. Uh, would you say it's easier for someone to jump into the housing market now than it was before the pandemic? No, it's way more expensive, but millennials have been saving cash. So living at home, so they might have more cash and a bigger down payment. I I, I think um, you you can't take out, like first-time home buyers traditionally have purchased with mortgage insurance, but -hmm. you can't uh, can't take out mortgage insurance on a house worth more than a million dollars. It's really hard to find one anywhere in the greater Toronto area. Durham, you used to be able to, but prices have skyrocketed there. That it's, It's very... Your choice is very limited if you need mortgage insurance, but millennials have been, I think, saving to avoid those mortgage insurance requirements. So they do have the down payment, probably some help from mom and dad who are boomers who own a house who can just take out the equity in their home to help provide uh, a little bit of a down payment. And who knows, that might be worth it to get your parents out of, or your your adult children out of your basement. (laughs) That's right. That's what it's done. That's what the pandemic's done. Yeah. So it was like my kids saying uh, on family day weekend, dad, the whole year's been family day weekend. We don't need to do something together. We need to get apart. Do you think this is, what are the long-term effects going to be of this? And, and you know, obviously you study trends, you, you study demographics and such. And as you've said, a lot of this is just uh, the natural fall of things, the natural progression of things. And it was going to go, going to go in and going to go in that direction anyway, pandemic maybe alter it speed it up a little bit where do you see housing and all of this going uh, in, in the next 10 years uh is it still going to be one of those issues where it's, it's very hard to buy is there still going to be the mad uh, demand to get downtown what is it going to mean for suburban areas i think there's a lot of de- demand for every area so we, we are seeing you know the 905 areas and suburb areas are are really strong with the condo markets even bouncing back i i think where interest rates go are going to be really important and how long they can keep them as low as they are so right now definitely the markets are on fire because interest rates hit a record low and then have been coming up i'll be up mar- marginally um but some of the temporary measures put in place to support banks are, are going to expire in march and that means that the interest rates going to come up so uh, I think a lot depends on what happens to, to mortgage rates. And if they stay really low, I think you're going to continue to see really good, strong demand pretty much everywhere. Diane Petromala has been with us, senior researcher with the Center for Urban Research and Land Development at Ryerson University, talking about housing trends in a COVID-19 world. Diana, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Good luck. Thanks for having me, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.